I'm going to start this morning with a picture, if technology works. You know, why does everything work before everybody gets here and doesn't work at all when everybody's here? All right, y'all going to have to give me a minute. All right, if it doesn't work this time. There we go. I got a picture up. All right, how many people know what this is? Does anybody not know what it is? Okay, sorry, Don. <laughs> I can't get it perfect for you. So everybody knows this is a compass, right? You ever used one? How confident are you you could use it today? Zero got a zero. <laughs> we got one confident over there. So how many of you have actually used one of these before? Wow, way more than I expected. Do you know that you got one on your phone? Almost everybody has one on their phone, even if we don't know how to use them. Maybe Jennifer could have used it this morning to not pass by our building and get here on time. <laughs> so most of us know what that thing is, but I'm going to ask you a question. If I dropped you off in the middle of the Smoky Mountains right now in the middle of nowhere, would you be confident you could use that thing to get out? Got a couple of confident ones. Oh, somebody said we need a map. So these things are designed to be used in conjunction, right? Right, you got a compass. Sorry, it's a little blurry, you know. You got a compass, you got a map. These two are designed to be used together. How many of you, be honest, are comfortable, you can take these two things, be dropped off in the middle of the woods, and find your way out? All right. So everything goes to heck in a handbasket. We need to hook up with Mike, Don, and John, okay? When that compass on your phone and that GPS on your phone doesn't work one day, we've got to have these guys. So what I'm hoping we can all agree upon is if we got a compass and a map, and if they are used as they were designed, okay, they can keep you from getting lost, right? Or if you are lost, they can help you find your destination. You with me? Okay. I was in the Boy Scouts. Anybody else in the Boy Scouts? Okay, Girl Scouts. So I was in the Boy Scouts, and at some point when I was around 12 or 13 years old, they had this status I was trying to achieve, and I don't remember what it's called. And they gave you a sleeping bag and a compass and a map. And they took you out into the middle of nowhere, and they dropped you off, and you had to spend the night in the wilderness to get totally disoriented, and then you had to find your way back. Do you think parents would allow that today? This is back in the 80s, maybe, 90s, I don't remember. And, and oh, by the way, if you came in contact with anybody, you couldn't talk to anybody, so you couldn't ask them to help you. You had to take your training that you had been given. They didn't just send you out there without training. They trained you how to use the map and the compass, sent you out in the middle of nowhere, and you had to find your way back. It was wilderness survival or something, order of the arrow, something. It was something to indicate you knew how to use this stuff to survive if you were lost, Okay. That doesn't exactly mean that I know how to use it now. Like, I probably couldn't find our barn from the entrance of one of these now. But if you're standing in the middle of the woods, the compass helps you find the direction. That's its purpose. If you've never used a compass, 
it tells you which way is north, so you, therefore you know which other directions you could or should be going. But then the map actually tells you where to go. So the compass doesn't tell you where to go. The compass just tells you where you are, what you're facing, what direction. The map tells you where to go. You guys tracking with me? Okay. But if you stand in the middle of the woods with this compass and this map and you just stand there, will they get you out of the woods? Huh? Supernaturally? <laughs> She's been watching a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> if I'm standing in the middle of the woods with this compass and this map, do they get me out of the woods or do I have to do something with them? I got to walk, right? I got to go in the direction the map and the compass tell me. And, and I might be hurting a little bit because I'm getting old, my knees hurt or whatever, or I pulled a muscle and I have to persevere a little pain. Ooh, this one's tough. I got to trust this thing. I got to trust that this thing knows where we are and this thing knows where I need to go. Okay? They're tools. But they're useless tools if we don't use the tools or be taught how to use the tools. You're like, what in the world has this got to do with the Lord? So today, I'm going to talk about something that's a little different than this compass, and I'm just going to call it a moral compass. Each of us has a moral compass. You're born with it. We are born with a moral compass inside us. Here's the problem. Not everybody's compass points in the same direction. Right? You may have never seen a compass. You may not know how to use a compass, but we all have a moral compass inside us. And guess what? You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to have a moral compass. How many people do you know that have nothing to do with Jesus, but they are good moral people? They just do the right thing. Well, I don't lie. I don't cheat people. I don't steal. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't need that. See, they didn't need Jesus to have a moral compass. Somebody taught them somewhere that don't do bad things. This is good. This is bad. So at the core, moral compass tells you what is good, what is bad. You with me? Okay. We all have a moral compass, but there's a lot of factors that influence the direction of our compass. Maybe our families. What your families teach you. Maybe if you were raised in church or not. Was that church healthy you were raised in? Just because you were raised in church doesn't mean you got a good moral compass, by the way. What about the area of the country or world we live in? If you live in Tennessee, you might have a little bit more different moral compass than if you live in California, right? Or if you live in Russia, you might have a different moral compass. <laughs> Went too close to the news there. Our compass is influenced by our society. Ooh, ooh, our society influences our compass. Which generation you live in, right? Parker has a different compass, different direction potentially than John or Don who come from a different generation <laughs> or two. <laughs> what kind of friends you have determine what, where your compass is pointed Right? What kind of school you're in can determine where your compass is pointed. So each of these things affect our compass and our direction and, they, and many more things. These are just a few I listed. 
So if you're lost in the woods, your compass is always correct. It's always correct. Unless it's cracked, broken, whatever, it's always correct. But if you're lost in life, your compass may not always be pointing to the right direction. And that's kind of where we're going to go today. Our moral compasses get shifted as things go on and as we're influenced by all those things I mentioned. And our goal today is we've got to focus on getting our moral compass turned back around and corrected, pointed to true north. Sometimes we think it's pointing north, but it's ever so slightly gotten off kilter. We're very close to north, but it makes us go the wrong direction, and we stay lost, and we wonder why we're lost all the time. Last week we talked about a wilderness season, and I've heard someone talk about it this morning, realizing they're in one of those seasons. So the question is, do you want to be in a wilderness season, wandering around in a wilderness with a compass that's pointed in the wrong direction? Thank you, Jacob. And I'm certainly not accusing that that person has a compass in the wrong direction. So this morning, I want to spend some time, and we're going to make sure that we understand what our moral compass is, what our map is, and I want to make sure our compass is calibrated in the right direction, okay? So what is our compass? What is our moral compass? What is our map? Okay? The easy answer that we're going to go with this morning is I'm going to say the Holy Spirit is our compass and the Bible is our map. Now, I said earlier, you may not be a believer in Jesus. You may not have the Holy Spirit living in you and you can still have a moral compass, but I'm talking about those who believe in Jesus today. You have a moral compass. The Holy Spirit is that compass pointing you in the right direction and the Bible is our map and they both work in conjunction, okay? But is it that simple? Is, it, is that a complete answer? Is it a correct answer? And at the core, yes, it's that simple, it's that complete, it's correct, but we've got to bring in some other realities. If we are taught correctly, we're striving every day to follow and obey Jesus like we talked about a few weeks ago, we're persevering our wilderness, then we want you to keep using the Holy Spirit, keep using your Bible as your map, and get to your destination. But there is a reality out there Let's say my needle was facing north. Where is society's needle facing? Somewhere less than north. Where's the church needle facing? I'm going general. The American church, the Western church, for the most part, maybe not as far off kilter as society, but unfortunately, maybe going west or east instead of south, right? So I've got this needle, and it's facing this way. Society's down here. Church is over here. So what happens with me? I'm, going, I'm trying to walk as clear as I can north, but over time things start to shift me. And I get lulled into thinking, but I'm doing better than most of the church, and I'm doing better than most of society. I may not be 180 degrees different than the world, but I'm 170 degrees different. Isn't that good enough? And it's good but it's still leading you in the wrong direction in the wilderness. Are you following me? And I think that's my concern for the church. I'm not saying for you, for all of us. We have a compass. It was designed to point here, and factors are making us go this way or this way, and we've got to come back. And that's going to be a different thing and a different discussion for each of us.
Over time, without realizing it, our needle moves. We never intended it to move. We're convinced we're going in the right direction. We're heading deeper into the wilderness, deeper into being lost, even if we're just off a little. So I want to look at some areas that our needle of our compass has moved or may may have moved. A lot of this is going to focus on society, but a lot of it is going to focus on the church as well. So I'm going to preface something. As we go into each of these points, you have to understand that each of these points is a complete sermon in and of itself. So my challenge has been, how do I narrow this down to make a point today? And then we may come back and address some of these in more detail. So if you think I didn't cover something completely today or say everything, just come talk to me if you have questions about it or criticisms about it or whatever. I'm not giving you a complete thought on all these. We're just going to hit some high points. But if we're going to say the Holy Spirit in the Bible or the compass in the map, we got to start with those. Holy Spirit. We ain't even going to society yet. We're going to start in a church. Anybody in here ever been to a church that said the Holy Spirit was only for the day of Pentecost and only for the first century apostles? Anybody in here been to the other side of that where we saw this wild Holy Spirit party that scared the crap out of everybody? It was totally out of control, confusing people. See, the problem is we're allowing men in these churches to tell us their opinion of which way our compass goes instead of going to Scripture to understand the compass. The compass. We're on the compass now. The Scripture is the map. Good job. Good job. You're right. I missed you there. We're not going to the map. Uh, Bad analogy. We've got to understand what our compass is, not what someone told us our compass is. And I'm going to tell you, I preached on this like two years ago, and I think we're going to hit it again next week. We're going to deep dive into this one. But I want to go to the map. As Jacob said, let's go to the Bible. This, and by the way, this comes from yesterday's Scripture encouragement. So God is putting this on my heart this week to talk about it, and then boom, it pops up in our Scripture encouragement. You tell me his timing is not perfect. Acts 8. i got to set the background a little bit. Anybody remember Stephen? So Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up for his belief in Jesus. The church, the religious people say, stop doing that. You're blaspheming God. You're blaspheming Moses. And he goes, no, 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 I understand who God is. I understand who Moses is. I understand the temple. I understand all that. But you killed Jesus, and that's who I'm standing here for today. And they stoned him. They killed him. Stoning is a slow, miserable death. You ever got hit by a rock in the head? I got a scar to prove it. It hurts. Over and over and over until he can't breathe and he's dead. Think about that. Horrible death. But what did God do? God used that to scatter the church. Because the people Jesus came for didn't want Jesus. And God says, okay, I'll use this incident and I'll scatter them. And it talks about Philip. He goes to Samaria and they were eager to hear about Jesus. So he told them about Jesus. Now, that's where we pick up at Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem had heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John. Hey, we got to go check this out. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Do you understand what it's saying there? They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. That's water baptism. 
You believe? Baptized. Water baptized. He's, this is talking about something else. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 says, Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. It's black and white right there. There's a second baptism, and it's called the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism in water, submersion, that's in Jesus. Then there's a baptism because Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit by the laying of hands. When Simon saw the Spirit, Simon was a guy that was a sorcerer. He wanted the Spirit. He was, he, when he saw the Spirit was given to the apostles, they laid their hands on the people. He offered them money. I want to buy this power. So he was a sorcerer. It says that he went around using evil sorcery to make a living. And now he sees this incredibly powerful spirit, Holy Spirit. It's better than what he's got. I'll give you money for it. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. So guess what, guys? This is after Pentecost. Pentecost happened in chapter 1 or 2. So if you were told that it was only for the day of Pentecost, I am so sorry we were all lied to. The compass didn't even get off on the right direction. The compass was broken before we started because this happened after the day of Pentecost. Man, that nullifies a lot of what we were taught. It also shows the other end of the spectrum. You can't use the Holy Spirit for yourself, for your own power, for your own agenda. You have to have a pure heart. Man, doesn't that nullify the other end of the spectrum where people are using the Holy Spirit to glorify themselves? Yeah, I've been to those places, guys. I've been to those places where you can tell they're acting in their own flesh and they're calling it the Holy Spirit, and it hurts because you know God is being disrespected. I'm not going to go any farther with that today. We'll get into that next week, maybe. There are other scriptures we can go to. And like I said, we may go to this next week. And you can go back this week if you're confused or you don't like what I've said so far or you want to know more. Call me, text me, I will send you the link to that teaching, okay? Or come next week, we'll teach on it again. But we have, this is super important. The Bible says our compass, the Holy Spirit gives us power. So if the enemy can get you off to one extreme of thinking you don't deserve it anymore, by the way, for the first century apostles only, Peter and John are giving it to common people. Common people. Not just the apostles, common people. So that nullifies the other part of that argument. But if Satan can get you over here convinced He's convinced your compass is off kilter from the very beginning. You don't get anything with the Holy Spirit because it was for them only. Man, I'm glad God's not that cruel. <laughs> or let's get it over here out of control where people don't understand it. It's confusing and I don't want to be around it because it's weird. And I want you to know that every Sunday, one of my prayers every week is how do we find that balance? Because sometimes we naturally fall over here, and sometimes we naturally fall over here. But if we're doing it with a pure heart, the power is present. How do I know the power is present? Because I watched Lonnie's hand get healed two weeks ago. How do I know the power is present? Because I watched a woman walk into this place for a baby shower 
with mental illness, and women pray over her, and then her come to a, a women's group and get prayed over. And then I saw her post online this week how God had miraculously healed her. Because those women didn't care about getting glory. They cared about the power that their compass carried. Do you get that? Or you can just say it wasn't for us and keep staying in your wilderness, wandering around with your broken compass. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not tolerating either side of the spectrum, okay? I will lovingly try to bring you back to the middle while I'm still trying to find the middle. <laughs> All right, enough on that one. Let's go to the, the map. I just can't understand it, Jason. I can't read the Bible because I can't understand it. So let me get this straight. God loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for your sin and your shame and your guilt to wipe everything away. And like Lonnie said earlier, he wipes away your sin as far as from the east as from the west, but he gave you a Bible that you can't understand. Once again, that would be a very cruel God. Why would he do that? Thank you. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> That's not my God. My God would not give me something I can't understand to confuse me while telling me he loves me that much. We've got to understand who the Holy Spirit is. We've got to understand the Bibles for all of us. That I can't understand it thing can come from a lot of places, but you've got to get that lie out of your head. Maybe that's the lie that needs to get out today. Because we've got to be able to read the map. And I, I agree wholeheartedly that man has tr mistranslated stuff. I talk about that often. I agree that man has wanted you not to believe you can understand it so that man can control you by being the only one smart enough to understand it. And all of those prove that that man or those men had bad hearts and they weren't pure and they probably weren't led by the Holy Spirit to begin with. Do you see the correlation? Find a translation you like. I use the NLT. We had a couple, and I was going to ask for permission to use this story this morning, but they're not here, so I'm using it anyway. She came to me last year, and she said, I just don't understand the Bible. And I said, I want you to rebuke a lie in Jesus' name that you don't understand the Bible. And I made her say those words, and then I bought her an NLT Bible, or you guys did, the church did, and I gave it to her. A year later, someone in her family said, I don't understand the Bible, and she's explaining the Bible to them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit with a book that we're supposed to be able to read. Is the NLT 100% correct? No, neither is the King James. Let's get off our religious high horse and go dig in and find out what it's supposed to mean. If you want to use your compass correctly, you've got to start reading the map. The compass is useless without the map. Okay, I don't think I want to take that hard of a stance because the Holy Spirit can lead us through a lot without the map. I'm talking about in real life. We need them both, and I think we need them both. Unfortunately, without those two core things or with those two core things being messed up and being distorted, we start out with a wonky campus, uh, compass and a map we can't understand. No wonder we're lost in the wilderness our whole lives just trying to squeak our way to heaven. <laughs> All right, that's the church. Let's go to some society stuff. Anybody know what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? We're approaching week three of a country invading a country. It has been deemed, okay, innocent people are dying every day. I know we don't know all the details. Innocent people are dying every day, and that was deemed as tragic but acceptable until this week. What happened this week that changed it? Russia bombed a maternity hospital. 
where little children were there, and you see a wife on a, I mean, I'm sorry, a pregnant mom on a stretcher, big belly being called out, pulled out bloody on a stretcher, and that changed things. So when children and expecting mothers can be hurt or could have been killed, things are different. So I want just, this blows my mind, but we have a compass in our society that says killing babies is worse than killing adults, but not so much unborn babies. This is two different compasses. This ain't a misaligned compass. We're talking about two different compasses here. This is, this is a compass needle that's been moved so much by society, society doesn't even know where they stand. If we can't hear or see the baby, it's okay to kill it. But by gosh, if we can hear the baby, it's an atrocity. That's what happened this week. Our government that says, dang you for trying to overturn abortion laws, dang you for trying to put a heartbeat law into place, says, dang you, Russia, for trying to kill little kids and unborn babies. We got a couple things going on here. We got a needle that's like pegging all over the place, and we got some double-mindedness going on. Let's look at what the Bible says. Psalms 139.13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. In my mother's womb. We can't hear that, baby, but it's being knit together delicately by God in the mother's womb. Galatians 1.15, in case you think the Old Testament's a little too old-fashioned for you. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. How many of God's chosen are being killed every day in the womb? Oh, there's also a scripture about thou shalt not kill. But let's move on to double-mindedness. James 1.8, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So society's needle has shifted off the Bible. The Bible is telling you that life matters in the womb. Don't be double-minded. And society is saying... It changes depending on where the child is, in or out. And they say, in God we trust, although that's being taken out. This is a worldwide moving of the needle, by the way. This isn't just American society. But we have to know these scriptures, and there are more, but we have to know these to get them realigned. Now, if you know me, you know I don't ever talk about abortion without talking about the grace of Jesus Christ. Every time, I refuse to talk about abortion without talking about the grace that's available to those that have made that choice. Just like I've made so many failures in my life, just like Paul did by being a part of killing Stephen, Jesus was there to restore him and to restore anyone who has gone through this. But there is a fact that society's needle has shifted. The moral compass is not even around anymore. All right, enough on abortion. You want to go to gender? We're going to talk about a lot of things the church doesn't want to talk about today. Gender. Society is moving the needle every day. Anybody know how many genders there are as of yesterday? Ten? How many? Thirty-something? No, the needle keeps moving. There's 72 now. 72. In case the camera didn't hear that, John said he's having trouble just being him. 
Society's moved the needle. Society says there's 72 genders. And by gosh, you're insensitive if you don't accept every one of them. <laughs> but then I go back and read things like Deuteronomy 22.5. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. In, this, in the 72 genders, they're counting some uh, cross-dressing transgender stuff, you know, where people are just confused. Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Oh, there's that tough word, abomination. Oh, Do you know what abomination means? Do you know what the Hebrew word means there? It means a disgusting thing. It says, God says, if a man puts on women's clothes and a woman puts on man's clothes, that's a disgusting thing to me. You can get mad at me and call me insensitive. God said it, not me. Moses wrote it. Get mad at him. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This would have been a really good time for Moses to say, male, female, and, and the other 70 genders. But I, I want to tell you something. This is a biology discussion. I got to be careful how I say this, but it ain't very hard to tell if you were made male or female. Be easy, John. But again, I gave you some Old Testament scriptures, and we replaced those. You know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. So let's go to New Testament. Mark 10, 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Would have been a good time for Mark to say things have changed since the Old Testament. But he didn't. Society's compass, 72 genders, ultimate confusion. And you know what? Suicide rates and gender confusion is at an all-time high. It's, it's spiking exponentially. People have a sex change. And they are extremely likely to commit suicide down the road. The Bible says two genders. Society's needle, 72 genders. The Bible, two. It says it's not good if you cross-dress. It's a disgusting thing. All right, so let's talk about marriage. Ooh, this one's going to be tough because there's a lot to talk about here. Society says it doesn't matter your gender. Man marry man, woman marry woman. You're insensitive if you think otherwise. Divorce is fine. Do you know the statistic among pastors getting divorced is 50% now? Among the common people, it's about 70 or 75% now. It's commonplace. The needle has moved. Cheating's okay if you're not fulfilled. Sleep around. Don't get married. It's okay. The needle on marriage is so far off in so many ways that if we take 10 different compass readings, we're going to get 10 different answers, and they're all going to argue with each other. Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife as they become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 7.2, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have their own husband. You see what Paul is saying? He went into a very sexually perverse culture, Corinth, and he said, y'all are so messed up. You're having sex with your mother-in-law and all these people. He's already addressed that. That was in 1 Corinthians 5. Go back and look it up. They're bragging about it. He says, y'all are so messed up. You need to marry somebody so you'll just be with that one person. That was the design. It shows us that was the design. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Jesus is restating Genesis. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife? Why didn't Jesus say, God created so man can marry man and all this. He didn't say that. He said, 
male and female, that a man would leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Let their, I'm sorry, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. We just addressed the man and woman issue. We just addressed how special it is for God and Jesus. We just addressed divorce. Because, see, the law allowed divorce. And Jesus is saying, but God doesn't want anything separated that's been brought together by him. By the way, I don't have this in my notes, but in Ephesians 5, at the end of that famous scripture of wives submit to husbands and husbands die to wives, it says this is a mystery. Marriage represents Jesus Christ coming back for his church. No wonder Satan hates it and wants to destroy it and destroy our needle in society. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This addresses that just go do what you want thing. Sex was designed between a man and a woman in their marriage. And guys or girls, because statistics say now girls are just as guilty as guys, pornography is not excluded from this discussion. That's the problem with the needle moving. The needle has moved so far on marriage and all this confusion that we as Christians even sometimes go, well, it's just pornography. It's not that bad. But it wrecks lives. The needle has moved so much that our needle is moving as Christians. One more scripture on this one. We're going to move on. Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman it's an abomination, a disgusting thing, okay? There's many, many more scriptures. The problem is I could spend like two days talking about marriage and probably still offend somebody. But it, the Bible's very clear. It's sacred. It's between a man and a woman. The marriage bed should be honored. And I think it's one of the biggest areas that society has just twisted the needle. And guys, we have to go back to scripture to understand where it's supposed to be. All right, we haven't talked about enough controversial stuff. Let's talk about race. <laughs> Society's needle says teach a new theory about how bad the white man is. It's my fault, guys. Just go ahead and admit it. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's mine, John, Don. All you white guys. But see, that's not what the Bible said. Because guess what? When this stuff was written, we didn't have the white man over here doing the bad things, Okay. Let's get, it, let's get the timing right. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor as myself, it don't matter what color they are, I'm addressing racism. I love them. I treat them right. Jesus also went to his enemy in Samaria, a woman at the well. That story, it says Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And I've preached on this before. But Jesus went to his enemy and gave her eternal life. So don't teach me a new race theory. Teach me to love my neighbor correctly and to offer everyone eternal life no matter what their color is. If I'm loving my neighbor correctly, I don't care what color they are. Again, society sounds really good trying to take care of these people that are being hurt. Why don't we go back to the Bible and teach people how to treat people? be labeled as closed-minded after this sermon how about a pandemic church response versus a biblical church response society said shut down the church to protect everyone and the church said okay you're right let's shut it down and the bible says part of the reason you have a church is to heal the sick <laughs> go read acts 
People were attracted to the church and became believers because they saw healings. So if your Holy Spirit compass is off and you don't believe in the power of healing anymore, it's going to be hard to grow the church the way they grew the early church. In fact, in Acts, it said the sick lined up to get in Peter's shadow as he walked by. We need to shift the needle back in the church, back to north. And you know I'm willing to. Because we've brought people in this church with COVID, knowing they just tested positive, to pray over them. Because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal and protect us. And if i got to get it for them to be healed, I'm willing to do that too, because that's part of loving your neighbor. But society and the church said, you don't correctly love people if you don't do this, shut down your church, wear a mask, all this. You just don't love them. And I'm going, no, I'm trying to keep my compass focused on the Bible. What if we got back to the point where people sought us out for healing? Isn't that the church Jesus wants? Love. Society says love is a feeling, an emotion. You get what you want. Very selfish. The Bible says love is an action. It's patient. It's kind. It takes work to be patient and kind. It's not irritable. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not selfish. The Bible and the world have a totally different view of love right now. Love is a very emotional, physical thing for the world. It's a very action-oriented, hard thing to do for the Bible. Schools. Oh, by the way, society says, I've decided I don't love you anymore. And the Bible says love never ends. I have couples that show up all the time. We've been married 30 years. I just don't love him anymore. I'm like, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. You believe in the Bible? Yes. Okay, you just contradicted everything you believe in. Because it says right here in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never ends. Schools. I know we're jumping all over the place, but I'm trying to make a point. Schools. Society says let's get Jesus out of schools. It's offensive. We gave a story where a kid was suspended in Michigan a couple weeks ago because he spread Jesus outside of school. And the school decided we need to take action. And you guys know God and God we trust, Bible, all that. Prayer is out of, 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 of schools. This week, I didn't know if I was going to say this or not, but I'm going to. This week, there's legislation being introduced. And right now, I believe the state of Tennessee and the state of Florida are the only ones standing up to it. And I don't have all the facts on this. I'll preface that. Where third graders will be taught how to use condoms now third graders and society says it's for their safety Deuteronomy 11 18 and 19 commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the word these words of mine the words of God tell tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders teach them to your children talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up so the Bible says, teach your children Scripture. Teach them God's commands. Teach it all the time. Don't teach them what I just said they're being taught in third grade. By the way, if we truly teach them biblical marriage and biblical gender and all these other things I've just talked about, you might not have to teach your third grader that. Society says be inclusive of everything and everybody. The Bible says be set apart. That's what holy means. Jesus said things like go tell them about me, and if they don't accept me, dust your feet and remove the blessing. Then he said things like 
uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about grace later because I'm real truth-heavy right now. I get that. But I'm telling you, we got to understand the Bible and align our compass or we're just allowing society to take us away. And that's what society is doing. Society says, hey, don't discipline your kids. It'll cause hurt and damage. You believe people aren't submitting to this law? Come to a third grader's birthday party. Watch them run around and destroy things, and their parents laugh. No discipline. The Bible says correction and discipline proves your love and provides wisdom. Forgiveness. <laughs> the world in many churches says do whatever you want. Forgiveness is there. See what Jesus says. Luke 17, 3 and 4, he says, So watch yourself. Oh, this one's going to hurt a little bit. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. So if we see a person sin, we're supposed to say, hey, stop doing that. Then if there is repentance, forgive. That was an if-then statement. If there is repentance, forgive. Then he goes on, if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns back again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. So society in the church says, Jesus said forgive seven times, seven times, 70 times, seven times, whatever. But Jesus actually said, if they repent, you forgive that many times. Do you see the difference? We're supposed to be held to a standard. That's the difference between greasy grace and the truth. Jesus' words, repentance, change goes with forgiveness. Believing, we talked about this a few weeks ago in death. Most of the church says believe. Bible says obey. <laughs> means believing society and churches say go to god when you got time or when you need him scripture says seek him first love him with all your heart mind and soul oh worry oh let's go to worry how many christians do you know that just own it i worry that's what i do it's who i am honey you just know that i worry about everything that's how i show my love jesus said don't do it don't worry it shows a lack of faith but our churches have embraced it so much that needle's just gone. <laughs> You're all thinking of someone if it's not yourself. The world says be self-made. Puff yourself up. Brag and brand yourself. Social media. People come in there all the time. You need to brand yourself better as a business and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I need to tell everybody how I'm better than everybody, right? The Bible says, or so society is saying pride's good. The Bible says uh, pride leads to bad things, destruction. Humble yourself. The world says, tell others what to do. Be above them. Jesus says, be the least. Be a servant to be the greatest. Here's a tough one. It, God has worked it out where a little one walked in right after I said something tough and walked out right before I said something tough. The world, and this is going to hurt, the world is starting to normalize pedophilia. It's happening right before our eyes. It's happening. Sex with a minor. And the Bible says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Do you know that drowning would probably be the most horrifying type of death? Because you're probably underwater and you can see above. And you can see the air, but you can't breathe it. It's got to be a horrific death. And Jesus says, if you hurt one of the little children, you'd be better off dying that death. Truth and love. Oh, I talked about that a minute ago. The world says you either got love or you got truth. The church says you either got love or you got truth. What happened to finding the balance in the middle? What happened to following the man that delivered truth and love? 
Jesus has a woman at his feet that's a whore. There's no other way to say it. And he says, you're the one I came for. I love you. Your sins are forgiven. That's love. And then he said something we often leave out, go and sin no more. That's truth. So we can't get caught in this trap, this lie that is so much truth, because I've talked about a lot of truth, and you're going, Jason, you got to have some love. No, I want to follow Jesus that was the perfect model of giving both. And some days I'm going to fail at being in the middle. And I need your grace to help me get me back to the middle. And that's where we got to hold each other accountable. Church attendance. Don't worry, we're getting close to the end. I know this is starting to hurt a little bit. Church attendance. The world says, I don't need church. The church says, I don't need church. People there hurt people. I'll watch it on TV at home in my pajamas. I'm too tired. I need a break. The time changed, and I can't get there. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but the signs are showing it's probably going to be closer to tomorrow than it was yesterday. And we need each other for encouragement, for love, to break down the lies. If you weren't here today, would you have gotten the time with God today to say, forget the lies? I needed that time. So let's look at church attendance by Christians. This one is staggering to me. In 1937, 73% of Americans went to church. Three-quarters of the United States population went to church. Now, I'm not even getting into whether or not they actually believe in Jesus, they do good things. I'm just talking about they physically went to church where they could hear about it. By 2000, what do you think that number dropped to from 1939 to 2000? It's going to shock you. It only dropped 4%. It dropped from 73% to 69% in 60 years, 4%. Did I say that right? Dropped from 73% to 69% in 63 years. Today, 28. So in 20 years, so in 60 years, we dropped 4%. In 22 years, we've dropped 40%. We had snow yesterday, right? How many people wouldn't go to church because of snow? You want to know what the world does and what society says is normal? I'll brave the bad roads, possibly have a wreck, sit in snow that covers me completely, miserably cold for three or four hours. But man, that. <laughs> Dang Christians, they just make you feel bad at church. Pews are hard. (laughs) I wonder how many of these people are Christians. And they would rather go to this than come to church. So are you getting my point? I could go on, but the moral compass of our society that used to be centered on the Bible is in complete disagreement with the Bible. And it's happened fast. The needle has moved so far from where it was even 20 years ago. We're watching Everybody Loves Raymond, an episode from early 2000s, and they talk about God in the Bible almost every episode. Sometimes they're making fun of it, but at least they're referencing it. That would be offensive today, 20 years later. 
So what I'm asking you today is where is your needle of your moral compass? I don't think it's a shock to anybody what I've talked about, but do you stop and realize how many factors are pulling your needle off every day? And we don't realize it. If our needle is centered 100% on the Bible, awesome. But is society swaying off? Christians now say things like, I just don't know if the Bible's still relevant about marriage and gender. Society has pulled us off. I heard that from a pastor's daughter who grew up in church, a good person. Society's convinced this person the Bible's outdated, irrelevant. But Scripture says, what, Parker? Jesus is the same. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word doesn't change. Society wants you to think you're old-fashioned, you're out of touch, you're insensitive, you're curmudgeon if you want to hold true to these biblical principles, and you're none of those. You're set apart. You're holy. Remember that scripture about a few will enter the narrow gate? About a remnant? You know, in 1937, that probably didn't make a lot of sense in America. But in 2022, it's starting to make more sense every day. Because if it's declined that much in 20 years, where are we going if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 20 years? It's on a, it's on a rapid pace. It's like Satan went, all right, I was jogging, now I'm sprinting. We'll be the only Christians. <laughs> so it's time we dig into Scripture harder and harder and harder. That's my point. At the beginning, I said the Holy Spirit's your compass, but here's the fact. A lot of Christians say they're following the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't line up with Scripture. That means they're either following their emotion or a fake, false Holy Spirit. So we've got to start with the Holy Spirit. We've got to start with trusting the Bible. If I don't trust that God made the world in six days, how can I trust that Jesus died for me? How can I trust the Holy Spirit's real? I've got to believe the map, and I've got to trust the compass, the Holy Spirit. Or... We can allow society and church people to persuade us, persuade us that we're out of touch. We can move our needle. And if you fall into one of the traps I mentioned earlier, the good news is all you got to do is change back. Let this be the day you change your mind back to Jesus' truth. His grace is so good when we lay down our pride and turn back. He forgets it all. Or don't. Let your moral compass be moved out of alignment with Scripture. Wonder why you're in constant misery. It's always in the wilderness. Here's the beauty of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We all have free will to make this decision. So as we end today, I'm just asking you to ask where your compass is. So, Father, thank you that you've given us a Bible that is still true today. People today are going through the exact same things they were going through back 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's relevant. Thank you. And I bind up the lies that would say it's not relevant. In the name of Yeshua, we bind up those lies. Father, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that all of us get to house the Holy Spirit. He's living in us. Thank you. Father, help us to reset our compass today. To understand the importance of reading your word, not what somebody says about your word. Father, help us to go dig in binding up that lie that we don't understand it. Father, convict me if my compass is off. Show each of us where our compass is off so we can get it back in alignment to fulfill your will. In Jesus' name, amen.